0: Previously on Transformers University, we covered the first season and a half of Transformers, the original cartoon series, and we've met the entire cast from both seasons. And now we continue on with five more episodes of season two. We'll head into space. We'll go around New York and San Francisco, and we'll find out the secret of Omega Supreme. All that, much more, right now on Transformers. University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucali, owner-operator, madman-behind, the website tfu.info, and everything associated with it. And welcome to Transformers University. First off, before we get started, a couple of quick things. One, uh if you listen to the audio version of the previous episode the Meet the Cast uh, Season 2 Part 2 I do implore you to go check it out on YouTube, the video version is much cooler than just the audio Uh, and you can find that at youtube.com slash tfu info and while you're there, make sure you subscribe and make sure you ring that bell for notifications because next week, actually this week, coming up the weekend of October 4th, Thursday through October 7th, I will be covering New York Comic Con and all of the Transformers offerings, plus a whole bunch of other things I enjoy, like Netflix's Voltron, Valiant Comics. Uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to get to that introduction of the new uh, Netflix she show, plus pictures from the floor, and uh, I will be uh, meeting up with uh, the Hasbro Transformers team uh, to do a little Q&A one afternoon. So, a lot of that will be going out live on the YouTube channel, and of course there will be videos uh, after the con, also on the YouTube channel. So please go over to youtube.com slash info and subscribe today. That said, we're going to jump right into where we left off in the cartoon to the next episode and the next episode we're going to cover is episode 42 overall episode 26 of season 2 and that is The God Gambit and that is written by Buzz Dixon. Now you may know Buzz Dixon a little better as one of the story editors on a show called G.I. Joe. Uh, Buzz wrote just a handful of Transformers episodes but this one is one of them and uh, I gotta say The God Gambit is pretty cool. And it does tackle a subject you wouldn't likely find in a children's cartoon. And for a little bit more on that, we're going to go to Buzz Dixon himself. But They let us tackle
1: some, some, uh, some pretty deep themes and emotional ideas and whatnot. The God Gambit, which I wrote for Transformers, you couldn't even mention religion. You know, much less engage in a debate between atheism and any kind of theology, and the God Gambit is is a story in Transformers where uh, some of the Decepticons pretend to be gods to a race of aliens in order to get the aliens to do their bidding, and you end up the the story. It's action packed, but it's also got this theological debate going on in it. How do you? how do you know you were following the correct path how do you how do you even know that a god exists and networks they the networks wouldn't even let us put crosses in graveyards if if you were doing Scooby Doo you couldn't have a cross in the graveyard because they were they were afraid that it would either offend the christians or it would offend the non-christians i mean that's that's how silly it became
0: i think that hammers home a good point about uh the transformers cartoon overall is that at times, the storytelling was a bit unconventional, and the subject matter was also a bit unconventional and over kids' heads to some extent, uh, and written a bit more mature uh, than what you would think it would be. Uh, and speaking of Buzz Dixon, just overall, he did write my favorite episode of of GI Joe, and that was Once Upon a Joe, and that's another one that I think is one of those episodes that it's it's a little bit smarter than the audience uh you think it's intended for but back to the god gambit so here in this episode uh we start on an alien planet which we later find out is the surface of titan saturn's moon and uh there's this mechanical god statue being prepared uh called the sky god we meet Jero played by Ed Gilbert who is the uh, high priest and tribal leader. We meet one of the worshippers named Scrawny voiced by Paul Eiding and we meet Talaria who is uh, voiced by Linda Gary and she is the leader of the rebellion and in one of the opening scenes she leads a rebellion against this uh, statue in this house of worship and destroys the statue. Uh, We cut away to uh cosmos being chased by astrotrain and uh, thrust and starscream are aboard astrotrain cosmos is uh, shot down and crashes on titan uh when he crashes they are having a debate about whether or not the sky gods really exist and astrotrain makes this observation
2: these fools worship transformers.
0: So Astrotrain takes it upon himself as they arrive at the crash site of Cosmos and declares himself a sky god and is immediately worshipped as Astrotrain demands obedience. They uh, take in Cosmos, who's been captured, who has one wire loose, which uh, is what is incapacitating him. And uh, when they haul him off, Talaria follows. Uh, she notices the wire reconnects it, and instantly facetimes with Optimus Prime. Uh, from there, a signal beacon is sent to the Autobots, and Cosmos is reactivated, uh, and the Autobots are on their way to help.
2: Excessive. Time limited.
0: Elsewhere, Jero shows uh, the Decepticons these power crystals in a cave, just before the Autobots land on titan and omega supreme sort of runs out of power and crash lands and uh is left in a precarious position one that uh jazz and perceptor uh observe as they uh leave him for the moment and omega supreme not terribly happy about it
2: just don't move sarcasm not appreciated
0: Jazz and Perceptor meet Talaria and tell her they aren't gods. Jazz takes down Starscream by, you guessed it, hitting him with a rock. Uh, He also climbs on top of Starscream, who had fallen on his back in jet mode. And Jazz climbs basically right on top of him, like uh, he's holding him down. Starscream then transforms underneath Jazz, and Jazz proceeds to put his hands around Starscream's neck. Um, I don't know if strangling... A Decepticon works, but apparently Jazz thought so. The Titans, per Astrotrain's orders, uh, shoot Jazz with some of those unstable energy crystals from the cave. Uh, Jazz is defeated, and Talaria is captured. Uh, Eventually, Jazz and Perceptor are led to the caves by some of the Sky God worshippers, where Perceptor realizes these crystals are highly unstable crystallized energy. And they also find electric lava made from the same substance as the crystals. Perceptor takes some of these crystals to Omega Supreme and refuels him just in time. Jazz goes to the uh, temple to save Talaria from the altar of sacrifice. Just in time for Perceptor and Omega Supreme to arrive. Astrotrain decides that if uh, he can't have the crystals, no one can. Proceeds to uh, blow up the cave and the crystals. And presumably, Jero.
2: Die like the worm you are.
0: The Autobots rescue the Titans from the explosion by getting them away from the cave uh, across a crevasse. And Omega Supreme uses his tracks as kind of a bridge. And drives his base mode uh, across the tracks in a really odd piece of animation. And that basically wraps up the story uh the people of titan now have a new home and cosmos is repaired and presumably the autobots use uh whatever crystal fuel they had to make it back to earth and one of the neat uh little tidbits about this episode uh it is one of the few to not contain megatron at all nor does it contain a single character voiced by frank welker and that takes us to the next episode, episode twenty-seven on the season forty-three overall. Make tracks written by David Wise, and this is kind of the tracks feature episode. And I know in some of the meet the cast segments, uh, we've chronicled basically the the cast and their origins in acting and in voiceover, uh, but not necessarily the origins. Of the voices they do now, Trax was voiced by Michael McConaughey, and in this interview, he breaks down the origins of Trax's unique way of speaking. Trax, with that uh, that rather arch
3: Harvard lockjaw, I am a tremendous approach was rooted a lot in what Jim Backus had done and. Gilligan's Island as is Thurston Howell III. Uh, that particular uh, standard characterization actually goes back to Borscht Belt of Vaudeville. It's called the, the Harvard
0: Lockjaw, uh, because apparently you had to have tetanus in order to speak that way. Now, this is also one of a series of episodes that takes place in New York City. And this goes back to something I had mentioned probably in previous episodes, that... They were cranking out a lot of television at this point in time, and um, I feel like there were independent little work teams, work groups within Sunbow uh, kind of designing episodes and building, one, a mythology together, but not necessarily with the other writers or other production teams, and then two, uh, creating some sort of continuous arc between episodes because there will be Uh, some reoccurrence of new york and some of the characters we meet in this episode in new york uh in the 80s was a great place to get a car stolen uh tracks and blaster start the episode by getting stolen by two punk rockers who uh rock out to cold slither on blaster Uh, Optimus Prime and the police show up as part of their joint effort to arrest car thieves and they arrest these car thieves and an interesting note here is that the police car that shows up has suicide doors and I don't think I've ever seen a cop car with suicide doors now uh, for those of you who don't know what those are those are the ones that kind of where the rear doors um, open outward but towards the back of the car Um, so the Like, normally a a car door opens towards the front of the car. This would open towards the back. Uh, That is certainly odd to see and uh, just a weird piece of animation. Now, we find out that uh, Sparkplug has a garage in New York City that is also connected to an Autobot secret base. So, Sparkplug's business must be doing good for him to open a New York City location. Uh, Trax, by the way, loves New York and uh is cooped up inside bored with the autobots that he's hanging out with decides to go for a ride uh while he's out he almost gets carjacked again because new york in the 80s good time to get a car stolen um in the midst of that he crashes uh his front hood parks to recover and uh is found in an alley by uh a guy who has never stolen the car, but needs to because he promised a bunch of gangsters that he would by midnight, and that is a kid by the name of Raul, played by Michael Chain. And uh, it's interesting to note here that if you remember our Marvel UK episode a few weeks back, a very similar story happened where Trax was damaged fighting Rumble, the red one, and uh, was found in an alley by a bunch of two-bit thieves. So uh, this seems to be um, common for tracks if these were one continuity, but uh, it's certainly a parallel to that story. So uh, Raul decides that uh, since he's stumbled upon this crashed-up Corvette Stingray, uh, it's his, and technically that's stealing him, so he uh, took him. So Trax has now been stolen three times. In the first five minutes of this episode. Now, while Raul tries to repair tracks, uh, the Autobots are out uh, scouting for tracks in New York City. This uh, includes lots of scenes of New York, and we're going to find that there are a lot of interesting pieces of signage in and around this universe New York City. It's some weirder things uh, just in some of these sequences. Like, so when the Autobots are looking for tracks... Uh, Huffer is driving around and Hoist, the tow truck, is in robot mode, driving Huffer from his driver's seat. Uh, so th- that that's odd, number one. And then Cosmos, who turns into a UFO, just casually flying around Manhattan uh, through the west side. Now, I've worked on the west side of Manhattan. I've seen a lot of weird things on the west side of Manhattan. I've not seen a UFO flying over the streets. So we find out as we mentioned earlier, uh, that Raul has promised a car to a group of mobsters known as the Geddes Brothers. Uh, And they promised them by midnight. And at 12.01, the uh, Geddes Brothers decide to stop by and shake down Raul. Now, they have some impeccable timing. Gotta tell you, 12.01, they're following this kid around. Like, if you're following this kid around, why don't you steal the car yourself? Because clearly, you, you have nothing better to do. Uh, And it's at this moment that Trax uh, turns into his robot mode, steps in. Him and Raul then give chase to the uh, gangsters uh, while they're chasing around New York City. There's a casino (laughs) sign in the place called uh, Casino Folie. uh, And they're promoting their Fokker game. uh, That is F-O-K-K-E-R game. Uh, And it turns out the Geddes Brothers are working with the Decepticons. Uh, and of course they're working with the decepticons in new jersey Powerglide, at this point still patrolling for prowl sees starscream and he and cosmos chase him down into a very busy shopping mall at after midnight in new york city uh again it is a friday night in new york they established that in the episode uh things are busy i don't know if there's a shopping mall open at 12 o'clock uh post 12 o'clock in new york there's bars not necessarily a shopping mall uh in any event starscream uh escapes uh by flying through the ceiling and the two autobots that can fly do not chase him from here prime makes this crazy leap of logic that starscream is going to the new jersey pine barrens i guess he's going to hang out with the jersey devil or the devil Turns out there, the uh, Geddes brothers have delivered 500 cars to the Decepticons, and the Constructicons are using them for something. And their version of a chop shop is Scrapper and a conveyor belt. And Scrapper is chopping these cars up with a sword. Not an energy sword, but an actual like medieval sword. <laughs> Again, why? I'm not entirely sure. And there, that'll take us to the second commercial break, and I want to just pause here because there's actually something new in this commercial break. One of the uh, going-to-break bumpers is the Constructicon hook, and that is a new bumper. We come back, and Raul tries to save Trax from the Decepticons because Trax has decided to pretend to be a stolen car and is about to get chopped with a sword. Uh, Trax and Raul flee. They're chased by Rumble, the blue one, and Ravage, Uh, the rest of the Autobots arrive in New Jersey and Sideswipe proceeds to kick the crap out of Ravage. So the Autobots regroup and Optimus Prime figures out Megatron's plan.
2: So Megatron's reconverting the stolen cars into vehicles that can drive on their own.
0: Now I'm not quite sure how Optimus figured out this part of Megatron's plan. they certainly don't show us uh anything before that as far as i remember uh watching this episode but uh the decepticons are essentially google making self-driving cars uh that they're going to unleash unleash on new york city to terrorize new york city now neat thing here is that uh these cars are now headed to new york and the autobots are there on their way to protect New York, um, these cars can transform, and they all transform into the same robot mode, despite having uh, very different vehicle modes all around. Um, It's kind of neat, actually, to see this, and uh, I think this is one missed opportunity so far of something that hasn't been made into a toy. As the uh, Autobots fight these uh, for lack of a better word, Viacons, and I know that's an official term later on, but I think this is kind of a, one of the first inclination of something being very similar to uh, Decepticon vehicle drones, and I'm surprised this hasn't gotten retconned into vehicons. As so as the Autobots are fighting these uh, Viacons, and I'm saying that with air quotes, uh, one of the marquees on a movie theater in New York reads, uh, Transformers the movie, uh, showing at those theaters and i have to think that was an inside joke because uh transformers the movie itself was definitely in production at some point in season two and uh this seems like a way for for them to have a little fun with the concept so uh the cars keep coming and uh, blaster decides to uh jam the signal controlling the cars At this point, Raul storms Decepticon headquarters back in New Jersey and is captured by Megatron. Uh, Megatron threatens to kill Raul in front of the Autobots, but Raul, uh, whose other option for the night other than stealing the car was to do some graffiti, uh, defeats Megatron by opening up his uh, abdomen panel and filling it with spray paint. Then tracks Raul and the Autobots. They get away, head back to New York, Where Sparkplug, Wheeljack, Hoist, Ratchet, and now Raoul uh, will dismantle all the stolen cars and rebuild them into normal cars. So, yeah, just uh, in hindsight on this episode, uh, one, it's written by David Wise, and we all know what that means. And this episode is actually pretty rare as it has nothing recycled by David Wise for or from uh, a previous or future work. But it is interesting to note, as I mentioned earlier, about multiple production teams and the lack of communication between them. This isn't the first time Megatron has unleashed an army of vehicle drones on New York City. If you remember back to when we covered City of Steel earlier in Season 2... Uh, Megatron had made battle taxis that he uh, unleashed on New York, and so between that and these awesome little uh, drone designs that were from this episode, uh, there's certainly a lot of opportunity for uh, troop-building figures uh, in the future should the Hasbro design team ever think of going that way. Also worth noting from this episode, uh, the masterpiece version of Tracks that was released just a few years ago uh, did include a miniature Raul figure uh, along with a miniature version of blaster to place in his back seat and that will take us to the middle episode of shows we're covering in transformers university today and that will be season two episode 28 overall episode 44 child's play by beth bornstein now uh beth bornstein uh was an animation writer in the 80s uh, into the early 90s and has since left the business, but she still writes uh, under her married name, Beth Bornstein Dunnington, and she writes a blog called Waking Up in Hawaii. Now, this episode is uh, an interesting one at that because it contains a lot of weirdness, and it starts, weirdly enough, inside a baseball stadium, a full baseball stadium where the Decepticons have built a space bridge in the middle of the field. And I'm not quite sure how they pulled that off so quickly or how uh, an entire stadium full of people didn't notice it on their way in. And we start with the, quote, general manager of the stadium with this request.
2: As general manager of this stadium, I respectfully request that you allow us
0: Now, the two things I find weird is general manager of the stadium is an odd title in baseball. Usually, it's general manager of the team, and he is much more concerned with getting the game in than, I don't know, removing the space bridge from the field or the fans' safety or the safety of the players on the field, and thus, Thrust loads his arm cannon with baseballs and fires them at the players. Some of those players actually attempt to hit or catch the ball. And speaking of catch, Soundwave and Skywarp decide to play catch uh, with a human as the ball. And this whole baseball sequence is just loaded with uh, bad puns and turns of phrases on... Uh, baseball things and during the course of the melee uh, Ravage chases a player around the bases Uh, Starscream decides to um, try and murder some fans by swooping in in jet mode and scooping them up on his wings Uh, then the Autobots arrive and Optimus Prime is no less corny
2: okay Decepticons it's our turn at bat
0: StarScream decides to uh, then release the two humans from his wing, but fortunately Inferno has an entire safety net built into his ladder, and uh, yells, "That is strike one." Then uh, Braun and Soundwave showdown again. According to uh, TFWiki, as Braun defeats Soundwave soundly, uh, this is now, uh, if you're keeping score at home, five to one in favor of Braun. And, of course, Optimus Prime observes that that is strike two, Dan. Bumblebee and Thrust actually decide to play some actual baseball. And a little note here, Bumblebee, left-handed hitter. From there, Optimus Prime steps in. uh, The fight continues, and uh, some of the characters end up within the space bridge. Uh, The Autobots are trying to take control of the bridge, and Megatron shoots the controls, uh, which sets off the bridge, and anyone inside of it is sent away. That happens to be uh, Prime, Perceptor, Smokescreen, Starscream Ravage, Bumblebee, Inferno Thrust, and Soundwave. Uh, they all arrive on an alien planet and are attacked by some weird creatures. Uh, the Decepticons, that is, are attacked by these weird creatures, and Optimus Prime decides it's a good time to uh, leave them, roll out. Uh, and they do, including Perceptor, who rolls out in microscope mode Which is kind of neat because his toy did have uh, tank treads on the bottom. Uh, On Earth, the space bridge explodes inside of the stadium. And the Autobots say, all right, let's go home. Um, Yeah, no worries about any humans being in there or any collateral damage. Uh, Back in space, the uh, Autobots there realize they are on a giant planet and are very much toy-sized.
2: It's a giant boy! Actually, it's all a matter of perspective. We're miniature robots to him.
0: Turns out the uh, boy's cat is named Nitro, voiced by Frank Welker. The boy himself is named Aaron, and he is uh, voiced by Mona Marshall. He has a uh, hamster with, uh, with an elephant head on it named Booper. Uh, which he uh, tosses Ravage into uh, uh, and Ravage and Booper uh, are involved in a chase on the hamster wheel. Aaron shows uh, Thrust to his mom and dad, played by Marshall again, and uh, the dad played by Walker Edmiston.
2: This one was a robot, but he turned into a plane. You see? Now he's a robot again.
0: Mom decides time to call the authorities and uh, a scientist steps in played by John Stevenson to uh, examine both the Autobots and Decepticons and uh, figures the best way to examine them is to cut them open. Aaron uh, grabs the Autobots and runs for it. In the course of that he runs into his uh, local bully named Marty also voiced by Mona Marshall Uh, and while the folks, the adults chase the kid. Uh Ravage frees himself and the rest of the Decepticons. Now the Decepticons decide to follow Aaron and the bots and uh fly looking for them, uh, including Ravage, um, who has never flown as far as I know. And while he's flying, he's um running in place. Kind of like those the old Rudolph the Red Nose reindeer special his legs move in midair uh like he's running uh aaron drops the autobots in the sewer to make a getaway and tells the autobots to meet them uh the decepticons follow and Soundwave and perceptor fight each other uh using a uh, broken paper clip and a pencil respectively the autobots eventually defeat the decepticons in the sewer and find aaron's house with a little help from nitro his Alien cat thing. The Autobots need to find a way home, and Perceptor plans to modify Aaron's telescope to get him home and send a uh, beam that will transport them back to Earth. Uh, but the Decepticons arrive and steal the beam home. From there, the Autobots rig a spaceship from Aaron's toy rocket and begin their journey home. Now, the rest of this trip will actually be chronicled in a future episode, but. Not for a few more episodes, in fact, not in any of the episodes we're going to cover this time around. Also worth noting that that's where the story ends, but the planet was eventually retconned with a name. The name of this planet was called Brobdingnag, based off the name of a very similar place in the famed book Gulliver's Travels. And that was done in the Allspark Almanac 2, published in 2010. Now, again, the fact that this is an episode that has a continuing story but is continued much later on uh, is another bit of evidence that uh, there were multiple teams at Sunbow building kind of arcs as they went. And finally, how big is Aaron and his planet if he is huge to the Transformers? Um It's kind of very meta that they're toy-sized and, you know, they're also toys in real life. But if you think that, you know, Optimus Prime is, what, 30 or 40 feet tall, uh, that means this planet must be huge and the adults on this planet must be, like, the size of skyscrapers (laughs) or pretty close to it. Um, Or actually, like, a regular home would probably be the size size of a skyscraper here. So the planet that they landed on must be enormous. So for this toy rocket to actually make it into orbit is uh, pretty impressive. And you know, this episode, for being riddled with animation errors and just some serious weirdness, uh, is one that tends to stick with people uh, who grew up in that era. And one of those such people is my good friend, Gabriel Owens, the salty sea man.
4: Hey folks, Salty Seaman here. Uh, looking at Child's Play, a definite favorite and standout, uh, even during times where I didn't really had seen the episodes very often between, you know, being a little kid around 10 or 11, you know, and I rewatched them as a young adult. This one always, if I had thought of a Transform episode, was one that always stood out to me uh, for what is basically the most blatant toy advertisement in a toy cartoon advertising history and uh you know just the excitement of the episode it works because it is an episode you can imagine reenacting in your own room with your own toys and you can be that kid which is why it works based on a you know actually driving a child's imagination versus you know crass advertising And also, I you know I really was a fan of the opening baseball segment. It's uh, it's a lot of cheesy baseball puns. I was a big baseball fan as a kid. You have the uh, idiotic uh, outfielder trying to catch a ball shot from a transformer cannon. That guy's a yeah. It's a good thing he decided to be an athlete, not a you know mechanical engineer. Uh, A little bit of you know Wave having a bit of fun again. Salmon gets a bad rap for being kind of a, uh, kind of a nothing, you know, robotic character. He's, uh, he's got some moments of fun here and there, you know, and there's a, there's a pretty funny moment where, uh, a good chunk of Megatron's troops along with a bunch of Autobots and disappear through the space bridge, which kind of starts not only this episode, but actually a mini arc of Transformers Through Space, which is, a uh, which is a new new take on the series. Another reason I think I kind of remember this and all the episodes because that was kind of an exciting thing as a kid when there was some continuity going on. You know, it wasn't direct one and two purs. But Megatron's uh, a cry of dismay is over his energon cubes and no, no mention of Soundwave at all. I think other than the crash, uh, crass uh, salesmanship here is the uh, you know, just the kind of subversion of the Transformers place in the world as you know they're basically near invulnerable apex predators as we see them on earth uh they can only hurt each other nothing else really affects them for the most part other than the occasional uh you know gizmo of the week whether it be, you know it comes from the humans but otherwise yeah they're they're never in a position of danger unless it's autobot on decepticon or transform on transformer so in this world we see where they're essentially helpless you know they are unable to defeat even you know basic kids toys uh which you know just aren't you know you can you assume aren't like military grade they're just made of this incredibly powerful material like for the most part can withstand their best attacks so we know by the time the uh, the alien child shows up that you know they're complete they are essentially helpless to him and they, he can do whatever he wants, and I, you know, and that's a fun way to treat your characters, especially when they exist in this world of, you know, invulnerability as a rule. And I'm sure the more science-minded of us could explain how the gravity on this planet would not allow this to be possible, and you know, they should probably be crushed as soon as they arrive. But it's a story. It's for story purposes, you know. That's kind of stuff you just really got to let go. And uh, before I go, just a couple of uh, points to uh, to wrap this up. I know Ant's doing the major story recap here. i probably pointing out a lot of the uh, really cool little details on here. So just a couple other things that's uh, also fun to uh, mention. Is, uh, the kid is not a nice kid. Uh, every time I remember this episode, I remember him being a lot nicer than he actually is. He's kind of, he's kind of, a, he's not quite Sid from Toys, which is a good comparison, or quite not quite an Elmira, but uh, he, he's in that ballpark on the lower end. There's also a scene where Bumblebee's yelling at Starscream and Prime kind of comes out, comes to him from behind, he puts his hand over his mouth and it just kind of lingers there and it's kind of like the screen cap that launched a thousand ships but uh, I'll digress on that topic right here and of course the most egregious uh, speaking of science is perceptor building a workable rocket ship out of a toy rocket ship we get no explanation but we do get out this prime saying just do it which is uh, which is really great it's like go ahead and perform a miracle of science perceptor i don't don't bother me with the details uh, this is this is a fantastic episode this is it's almost microbots redux you know because you get the thing of the transformers being really small and fighting with the environment much like your toys would you get the whole the playability value of this episode just through the roof uh it, it it's a fantastic vehicle for uh, selling toys and i love it back to you Anne.
0: don't forget you can catch gabe on his youtube channel youtube.com recharge138 so you can find the salty sea man And you can catch him on Twitter at recharge138. That takes us to episode 29 of the season 45 Overall Quest for Survival, written by Reed Robbins and Peter Sachs. And this is the second and final episode written by this pair, uh, whose previous contribution was Countdown to Extinction. So this episode starts off with uh, the Insecticons attacking field workers uh, again, and uh, the Autobots show up, including Skids, and now I have to correct one thing that I uh, had said in the previous episode, that uh, Skids' second appearance was in Quest for Survival, I had them flipped, uh, so his first appearance is actually in Quest for Survival, and... um, Also among those Autobots is Smokescreen, uh, who was off-planet last episode. Uh, The Autobots pretty much lose to the Insecticons and retreat, head back to base, uh, and Optimus Prime is there, uh, and he had sent Bumblebee, Cosmos, and Spike off-planet for a special mission to Floron 3 to uh, pick up some robotic insecticide. Yeah, you heard me right. Uh, robotic insecticide comes in a giant aerosol spray can uh, about the size of Spike. Uh, While flying away, there's an asteroid with uh, tentacles that attacks Cosmos and leaves uh, elements of itself on him. Back on Earth, the horde of insecticons, and I should point this out, the insecticons here, are cloned en masse, so there are hundreds of them led by bombshell kickback and shrapnel. Uh, they arrive at Decepticon headquarters and uh, transfer some of the energy they've collected, the energon they've collected, for refinement and use for the rest of the Decepticons. Cosmos and company uh, crash land on Earth, and Cosmos is tangled now in these alien tentacles. Bumblebee and Spike head back to base, and we find out that Bumblebee has some of these spores on him as well. So the Autobots head out to rescue Cosmos, and Laserbeak is spying now. Laserbeak will report back to Megatron and Soundwave as Perceptor realizes these plants are something called Morphobots, which they uh, believe were extinct, and they're not just regular Morphobots. They are hungry, hungry Morphobots. Uh... Megatron decides to head to the area where Cosmos has crashed to steal the robotic insecticide uh, and sends Thrust to order the Insecticons to uh, not go to that valley until it is clear. The Insecticons do not believe him and fight with Thrust before he flees. The uh, Seps are the first on the scene but decide to let the Autobots do the dirty work. And the Autobots cannot cut through what is now a field of Morphobot plants. Uh, They try to cut through with uh, Warpath uh, in tank mode, trying to shoot his way through. That doesn't work. Ironhide decides to try to freeze them with liquid nitrogen. That does not work. Then Blaster decides to rock them out. With a little bit of cold slither. And he half transforms into his boombox mode. So um, his arms are away. His head is away. But his legs are still out walking around. As a walking cassette deck. And uh. (laughs) Optimus. None too happy with the song selection.
2: Who says plants aren't intelligent? The Morphobots are repelled by your music.
0: You know as as corny. As it is. I kind of like um corny, angry old dad Optimus in Season 2. It's just weird. Uh, He's full of dad jokes like this one.
2: Good work, Blaster. You've just gone platinum.
0: And the Autobots go and rescue Cosmos and the robotic insecticide thanks to a little bit of cold slither. Uh, The Decepticons then decide to attack and Megatron, who was hoping to use the robotic insecticide to uh, rid himself of the Insecticons, eh, decides to blow it up anyway. And uh, you know what that means, right?
3: That could mean the entire human race will starve.
0: Wow, Spike. That is one morbid leap of logic for Spike. And I've got to say, I think parts of this episode were cut because what we don't uh, really have expressly pointed out to us is that this episode is one about hunger. You have hungry Morphobots, and you have hungry Insecticons. And the Insecticons are eating up uh, farmland and food on Earth, while the Morphobots have just arrived and are starving. So this essentially becomes a story of plants versus insects. And at the end of this episode, the Insecticons arrive. They see the Morphobots as food and try to eat them. And to their surprise, they get eaten by the Morphobots, uh, so much so that the Morphobots eat the entire Insecticon army, aside from the three generals of Bombshell, Kickback, and Shrapnel. The Decepticons flee, and the Autobots have won, so they decide they need to get the Morphobots off the planet, and they build a spaceship to launch them into space. Now, I don't know exactly how they, one, built the spaceship, since they're trapped on Earth or just refuse to leave. And then two, got the Morphobots in there without getting eaten or uh, infected by them. And finally, we end the episode with uh, the rocket taking off and then Perceptor uh, calling in a bit late, saying, uh, hey, I've got some of these in my lab still. Do we have another rocket? Uh, and that wraps up a very silly episode. And, you know, this episode's also pretty Cosmos-heavy. And uh, it's also another unique voice on the show. And again, this is one that was voiced by Michael McConaughey. And I know previously, uh, not in this episode, but in a previous episode, Gabe had mentioned that uh, he had thought Cosmos's voice was some kind of Hispanic uh, dialect, uh, South American maybe, and uh, he's actually not too far off. And so here is Michael McConaughey on his inspiration for Cosmos and the trickiness of doing that voice. Cosmos gave me
3: so much trouble because he's based
0: loosely on Peter Lorre,
3: but it's a much more strong and masculine and forceful Peter Lorre than Peter Lorre ever was. And the problem with doing Peter Lorre who is one of the standard impressions for people who are doing voice impressions back when I was growing up, uh, is that unless you get a really firm grip on him, he kind of slides off into some really bad Mexican accent. Cosmos is out there, Optimus Prime, Optimus Prime, we're being invaded
0: again, which is about that far off from Pancho Villa. And just for reference, here is a little bit of actual Peter Lorre, Uh, acting dialogue
2: I a poor peasant have conquered science why can't I conquer love
0: and that takes us to the final episode we are covering on Transformers University today that would be episode 30 of the season 46 overall the secret of Omega Supreme written by uh, David Wise and in this one uh, we start out with the Constructicons piloting a ship to move an asteroid into orbit they call uh, Megatron and uh, there's an interesting animation error here where sideswipe is standing next to Megatron uh, awaiting this call and uh, it turns out it was supposed to be Soundwave uh, if you're going by the next uh, few shots uh, to let him know that this asteroid is now in place Cosmos is patrolling space and finds uh, the asteroid and the Constructicons and reports back to Optimus. Uh Optimus Uh decides he needs to find someone. But where is he going? To talk to the
2: only other Autobot who can fly into outer space.
0: Oh come on, Optimus, what about Skyfire? He went into space at least once, if not twice. Alright, alright. So uh if you remember back, Skyfire is actually written out of the show on purpose because of his uh the legal issues around his toy and show models uh so optimus prime decides to drive out to talk to omega supreme and he is uh calling out for omega supreme in the woods omega supreme is hiding now how do you hide a i don't know what six story tall robot tank rocket ship defense based thing uh is beyond me But uh, Omega comes out, and Optimus tells him about the Constructicons, which sets Omega Supreme off. Uh, He is not happy hearing the names of the Constructicons thrown out there, and uh, Optimus realizes he's struck a nerve, so he asks Omega Supreme to explain.
2: What happened between you and the Constructicons, Omega? Question irrelevant. Answer. Private, I want to know about it. Order received. We'll talk. Can you talk like a normal Autobot? Just this once, I will talk the way I did on Cybertron.
0: Wait, so Omega chooses to talk in uh logical statements and <laughs> small chunks? Uh, that is weird on its own, but it is origin time, it is flashback time, and uh, we. Find out that Omega Supreme is a Guardian robot, and uh, we meet a doctor named Doc, apparently, uh, who's there uh, just giving him a checkup before he heads back to his post as the Guardian of the Crystal City. It's just another Sunday in a tired old street, and the Constructicons show up as they were his friends, and uh, of course they, they built this city. Uh, And we find out this is kind of a a second origin for the Constructicons. Uh, The first one being that they were built on Earth uh, back in Season 1, Heavy Metal War. But in this episode, we also find out that Megatron had this device called the Robo-Smasher that he used to uh, reprogram Cybertronians. And in the example we see, um, he reprograms this cool generic-looking robot, which would eventually be... Uh, retconned into a uh, type of robot transformer Cybertronian uh, called the Gyronian Sentry. And uh, Megatron uses the Robo Smasher to reprogram the Constructicons. And it's also funny to note here that all of the animation of the Constructicons at this point uh, only show five of them. Uh, Bone Crusher is missing from the group. Uh, the Constructicons then head back to uh, Crystal City. Uh, and tell Omega Supreme that there is an attack on the capital, and he is needed there. They tell him they'll guard Crystal City, but instead, they destroy it. Omega Supreme realizes his mistake and heads back to Crystal City uh, hunting for the Constructicons. Eventually, he captures them and tries to reprogram them, and now Bonecrusher is now with the Constructicons in these scenes, Uh, but the reprogramming did not work. The, we find out the Robo Smasher cannot be undone, and uh, we also find out the Constructicons can now combine into Devastator. And Omega Supreme is now attacked by Devastator. He fights them off and the Robo Smasher, which attempts to uh, convert him to a Decepticon, but uh, it fails as he destroys it and uh, defeats the Constructicons. And we find out what happened from Omega Supreme and how it led him to where he is today.
2: They fled Cybertron in a starship. And you followed them. I did, for millions of years, across the galaxies. And then you heard they'd found where Mechatron was and rejoined him, here on Earth. I followed. I have been
0: waiting. Now, back on the asteroid, the Decepticons are mining some of this ore that makes it up and is very energy-rich, and Cosmos steals a piece and heads back to Autobot base. Omega Supreme is sent to the asteroid and flies up there with his docking bay attached (laughs) to his rocket mode. Uh, Again, it looks like they're used kind of like vertical stabilizers on a jet, but uh, it's just an odd piece of animation now. While he's on his way, Teletran-1 finds out that the asteroid is actually alive. Uh, Omega Supreme ignores radio calls up to him, but instead fights the Constructicons, and in the course of this, punches the asteroid, which forces it to hatch uh, a robo-dragon-scorpion thing, which immediately heads to Earth. And during the course of this, I realized that Omega Supreme might be the most metal of uh, Transformers. There are some lines here that can totally just be put to uh, some distorted riffing creature lives. you die now this newly hatched baby robo dragon scorpion thing is very hungry and is heading to uh, san francisco for some rice a uh turns out the asteroid is its food and omega supreme needs to get this thing back to the asteroid in order to save san francisco devastator and Omega continue their fight on Earth, and then Prime gives him this speech on revenge.
2: This is more important than revenge. Prime, move. You caused that thing to hatch. You're responsible. It's happening again, Omega. It's happening right here on Earth. San Francisco's going to be destroyed. Are you going to let it all happen again? For something as useless as revenge!
0: At this point, Omega realizes the error of his ways and uh, decides to fight the robo-dragon-scorpion-baby and lead it back to the asteroid. But Megatron has had plans to destroy this asteroid, and as he's about to fire, uh, his controls are blown up by Optimus Prime, who was smart enough to realize that, yeah, Megatron probably had a hand in all this and needs to be uh, taken out of the equation the robo dragon scorpion baby thing eats uh, a bit of the asteroid and then flies off in the other direction into space and the episode ends with omega supreme rolling a tear uh at his lost crystal city and his need for revenge oh man what a good episode that one is uh i really like the secret of omega supreme and it's another david wise episode <laughs> Without any sort of recycling. And that will wrap up this edition of Transformers University. I want to remind you, New York Comic Con coming up uh, this week. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tfu info where I will be doing all sorts of coverage. I will be live from the show floor, and I will be sitting down with the Hasbro Transformers design team to talk about what else they have coming up for uh, the rest of 2018 and 2019 and beyond. Now, if you enjoy the show, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash tfu info, where you can sign up for as little as a dollar, and you would have heard this episode full day early at the very least, uh, plus all sorts of other uh, great benefits to being one of our students over on Patreon. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, best way to do it is Twitter, twitter.com slash TFU underscore info or at TFU underscore info. And uh, of course, you can catch me on Facebook or Instagram, either one of those dot com slash TFU info. And of course, the figure archive on the web www.tfu.info next time on the show we're doing something that turned out to be a lot of fun last time around when I did it for 1984 we're going to do it again we're going to take a look at the tech spec numbers and functions of the newest characters from 1985 as we go 1985 by the numbers till then see it.